Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. From roommates to co-hosts, this is The Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 25 of the Back Check. Yes, Stefan's grinning because of what I'm wearing right now in Islanders jersey. It's absolutely disgusting, and I will never, ever wear one again. But if you didn't hear in that intro, we have a big announcement to make. Stefan, if you want to take it away. We are joining the Belly Up Sports Podcasting Network. We are really excited for this opportunity. It's been, you know, we've been working hard to get to this point. It's all because of you guys, too, with showing your support, leaving us comments, all that good stuff. But we are joining the Belly Up Sports Network and looking forward to seeing what, what's in store in the future. Definitely. It's going to be a huge step for us. We're really appreciative of the opportunity. And it's an awesome network. So if you haven't already, go check them out, bellyupsports.com. See what they got. They got a ton of great shows there. But... I do have a bet that I have to honor. I did lose in the playoffs to Stefan's team. This team blocked every single shot that went his way. It was absolutely absurd. Um, and I, we lost 5-3. So now I have never seen this message that I'm about to read. I don't condone anything that I'm about to read. But without further ado. Before you go, before I go, I just want to make sure I want you to enunciate Clearly, take pauses when you need to for dramatic effect because I worked really hard on this and I think it's going to be funny. I laughed, but I laugh at my own jokes all the time. So, Brendan, let's dim the lights and let's do it. Buddy, this is an essay. Oh, it's an essay. (laughs) This is an essay. All right, here we go. I, Brendan Azoff, am loving the way this Islander jersey feels on me. This blue over the Rangers blue every day of the week. Honestly, looking back, Artemi Panarin should have signed with the Islanders as he may already have had a cup. With the Rangers, the team will probably only get as far as they did in 2014. Oof. That was the year when the Rangers lost in Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Finals. You know when Alec Martinez scored at 14:43 of double OT. Kings are honestly my second favorite team. Let, let's be real. Ryan Strom is only good because of Artemi Panarin and Wallstrom over Loff every day of the week. My favorite thing to say about the Islanders is that you cannot spell Islanders without Anders. Might be the top of top saying in all of hockey. Bro, I'm cringing right now. I was not expecting the Alec Martinez line. Oh, I know. I, I thought about that on the drive to work. Is that it? That That's it. Um, I hate saying you cannot spell Islanders without Anders. That is the corniest thing I've ever heard. But I will actually, I will extend an olive branch here. If Panarin did sign with the Islanders, they probably would have won the cup last year. 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, if they get out of the, if they get out of the East, they're playing Dallas Stars, and I just think the Islanders would have beat them. But uh, Brendan, I appreciate you holding up your end of the bet there. I oh, know, of course. Earth. I mean, but you know why he didn't sign with the Islanders? Because he signed for less money with the Rangers. Which makes sense. He wanted yeah. the spot in New York City. I probably would have done that myself. Yeah, less money. Yes, but spotlight and what he loved. He loved what Madison Square Garden was and the Rangers franchise and all that fun stuff. But Brendan, he yeah, took I, less money. He, he, I got it. He took less. Money. <laughs> you do look. You do look pretty good in that blue and that blue over the Rangers blue every day of the week, right? As you said. And take it in. Take it in. If you're watching, it'll Bro. never happen again. Never, never happen again. Never. Okay, so Brendan, you did your your bet thing. We got the belly up sports out of the way again. Really excited for that, but. We got some bad news still going on with the Vancouver Canucks. And yeah. it's been yep. tough for them. They now have 21 people, players, with the virus. So positive, and they have the virus. Darren Drager just said something about them returning potentially at the end of next week. Is that what he said? He, he said that all plans are right now for the Canucks to get back in action at the end of next week, but it's fluid still. So obviously with 21 players testing positive, I uh, that's just an absurd number. But if, if they have that many players, who knows when they'll be ready to play? I mean, realistically, they only need like 15 of them to test negative to start playing because they have taxi squad members and they could make some maneuverability options that are going to ha- have to happen if they're going to get back in action because you can't have a team miss two and a half, three weeks right now at this point of the season. So we'll see. I mean, you look at them in the standings right now. They have 37 games played and they are... Quick math, Steph, and quick math, seven, eight points out of a playoff spot, but a ton of games at hand. So you have to think they're going to have to make all these games up. The question is, if it gets worse, they're going to miss more time. How on earth do you do that? You're going to – it's going to be – a great question. It's gonna I be really good. don't know. I, I think that they're not going to make the playoffs because of their defense anyway, but – But you can't I'm, rule them out. What about all the teams that they have to, that they have to play them? Exactly. So what do you do here? I mean, it's never happened before. Do you extend the season just for the North Division and delay their playoffs and have everybody else start their playoffs? Because realistically, they won't be meeting anybody else until the conference finals anyway. I mean, the East plays the East. The West plays the West, Central, Central. So it would, do you just delay theirs and have the other teams take a week off? But the other teams aren't going to want to take that long of a break in between games because you don't want to cool off and have a North team come in red hot. I've, I don't know what's going to happen here. Listen, it's not ideal, and what Bettman did last year in the bubble and how it worked out, they found a way, and I assume they'll find a way again. Hopefully, this is it, and nothing gets worse for Vancouver, but at the same time, I mean, you got if this could happen to Vancouver Canucks, it could happen to every team in the NHL. And this is something, something we really worried about at the beginning of the year. What if one team just everybody gets it, yep. and then it spreads and spreads? Fortunately, this is the only case but apparently it's like a new strand, a new strain of the virus. It's not good, not good at all. But hopefully everyone on Vancouver is safe. They get better. A lot of them I heard are it's been rough. Like the symptoms have been real rough. So the whole belief of well, athletes can't really feel the effect of this virus is complete and utter bogus. Yeah, it is. And we're gonna take a quick thirty second break so I could take this heinous thing off of me. But when we come back, we're gonna talk more about this, Patrice Bergeron, and dive into some other news around the league. Don't go anywhere. Thirty seconds. We'll be right back. SUNY Cortland Sport Management is a proud sponsor of the Backcheck. In the SUNY Cortland Sport Management program, students get hands-on training in sport event management and sport media production. The Sport Management Department is the oldest sports-specific major in New York State and boasts an impressive list of alumni, something me and Brenda know a lot about. To get more info about the program, go to courtland.edu SPM or look up Cortland SPMG on your favorite social media. SUNY Cortland Sport Management, where the tomorrow's sport industry leaders practice their craft. All right, welcome back to the back check. We got a comment from Ryan T. Kelly saying the jersey looks phenomenal on UAZ. And thank you. Everything looks phenomenal on me, Ryan. You should know that by now. But I I mean, I hope everyone took a picture that wanted that because that, that's just a sight that you will never, ever see again. And this is recorded, so it will live in infamy. In uh, less than 10 minutes, Christian Arnold of NY Hockey Now will be joining us to go over the Islanders game yesterday, as well as trade talk. Brendan, I had an unfortunate circumstance happen yesterday while watching the Islander game. Is watching <laughs> with my dad, watching my dad, you know, the usual power goes out. Power goes out, the whole block's out. They contact us saying we won't have power until 11.30. I can't get on Twitter. I can't text people. The last thing that I saw 
on Twitter was, Bovillier gets cut by a puck, walls him to the locker room. All I heard. No idea Wait, what whoa, happened. What? Okay, so the last tweet that I got, I think it was Christian Arnold. It said, Bovillier is cut from a deflected puck or whatever it was, and that Wallstrom was headed to the locker room. So I was... Completely you know, unrelated? I don't know. The power went out. <laughs> I had no idea. I, I, I finally headed over to Alyssa's house, my girlfriend's house. Thanks so much for the invite, Alyssa. She had Wi-Fi and power. Got to watch the game, but I did miss miss a key chunk of it and whatever happened there. But we'll get Christian Arnold's take on the game last night, trade stuff as well. So it'll be a fun interview. But Brendan, Patrice Damn, you Mar- owe her a steak dinner. I owe her much more than a steak dinner. Um, <laughs> Patrice Bergeron. And we, we, we talk about it as he's one of the best uh, defensive forwards in the NHL. I think he's proven that. He's got four Selkies. What else did he win? Uh, Clancy. He, Clancy. I mean, he's all over the yep. place. He hit 902 points yesterday with a hat trick. For a Boston Bruins team, which we'll get to in a little bit, they have not had the best offensive showcase this season. They're a middle-of-the-pack team where offense is a strong suit. Again, Pasternak's been out. Marchand's dealt with stuff. Whatever the case may be. They've lost players on defense, and they have no goaltending. So it'll be interesting to see what they do at the deadline. But Patrice Bergeron, leader, obviously he's been a leader there. And he gets the job done, gets him to a big win last night. Now, I can't say that I expected a step back from Patrice Bergeron, but I can say that I wasn't sure what to expect, considering he's never been the captain before, right? He's always been the A. Char has always had that role. Yeah. And he's been the perfect, you know, co-leader to Zidane Char. But now he's thrust into that prime leadership role. He's the guy that all the young guys look up to. And he hasn't taken a step back at all. He just continues to thrive and do what he does. And to me, it's amazing how even though they're getting older, right? And Pasternak's still young, but Marshawn and Bergeron continue to get up there in age. That yeah. line just, you can't stop them no matter what. You could put your top defenseman on them, top forwards on them. You could key in on all those players and they will still find a way to beat you night in and night out. It's ridiculous. Well, the crazy thing is when that line is not in the offensive zone, there's trust that they could play defense. You know, you look at other top lines in NHL where it's just, they just dominate the offensive zone, but very few teams have a player like Patrice Bergeron manning the center where he's just that good in his own zone and he stays out of the box. It's one of those players that's a franchise player that only comes around ever so often. The only player I could really relate to at the same level as Jonathan Taves. And Correct. they both both players have won Stanley Cups. Well, no, there's there's somebody else and we've been over this before, Stefan. You can never think yes, of this guy's yes, name. It's Ryan O'Reilly. Correct. He's very, yeah. very good. He's a Selkie winner himself, Lady Bing Award winner. Guy's pretty damn good at hockey. Sean Couturier is getting towards that. He's not at the same level yet, but defensively he's just about as good as any center in the league. Uh but there's a couple and no one has been able to do it at the level of Bergeron thus for Selkie Awards for him. Yeah, it's been it's been quite crazy. But another player who's pretty good in his own zone, scores a lot of goals, is Blake Wheeler. And he's out indefinitely with the Winnipeg Jets with concussion like symptoms. He'll not tra- he will not travel for his five game road trip for getting at Montreal Canadiens tomorrow. That's tough. He's got ten goals and 20, 20 assists in thirty nine games, and Winnipeg is in second place right now in the north. That's a that's a that's a, just a big loss. First off, again, a leader, and with concussion like symptoms, you never know. It is. It is a huge loss. And you mentioned Montreal Canadiens. Well, they're going to be without Brendan Gallagher and Carey Price on that game as well. So Gallagher, we know, is out with that broken thumb. That's a that's a tough injury to come back from because it's not a regular finger. Normal finger, you just tape it up, you go out there. Thumb's pretty important. So who knows how long he's going to be out for? Uh, he's second on the team with fourteen goals, and then Price is Carey Price, even though. Hasn't been the same this year. I'm not sure if that injury is as impactful as it would have been five years ago, but Jake Allen will step in and he'll be fine. The Seattle Kraken's number one goaltender come next year. If, is that is that a hot take or is that I'm um, kidding take? I, I don't think it's a hot take. I mean, they can't protect him. They have to protect Carey Price. Why wouldn't Seattle take him? Yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. I, it's it's hard when you're looking at expanded teams. Just the way Vegas did it, they got very, they were very fortunate that Flurry was available when he was available, and that that the Penguins were willing to move on from him. This is a similar situation, right? Flurry was relegated to a backup role, but we knew he had starter capabilities. Jake Allen, the same thing, was a starter in St. Louis, didn't pan out fully, went back to being a backup. His numbers are steady, steady, and very impressive over the last two seasons. Why not give him that starter role again on a new franchise? And with Gerard Galan as the coach, 
Yeah, we'll see about that. I that mean, would be something special. Yeah. I, it's just expansion drafts are always fun and all, but or do the, they take Flurry? I would love to see Flurry join a new expansion team. The problem <laughs> I mean, is Vegas though, can't protect him and Leonard. No, and you just sign Leonard to a long-term deal. Um, <sighs> it's going to be interesting. Imagine that. Uh, no, I really, I just really can't because you look at the tandems in the NHL. And we talk about it all the time. I mean, Flurry and Leonard, when they're both on, could is probably one of the top tandems in the NHL. The question is, you're going to let Flair go? I mean, the Vegas Golden Knights have a lot of talented players. Yep. But if Flair goes to a new team and he brings brings the Kraken in their first year to a Stanley Cup final, and then the same thing happens. I mean, he'll go down in history as the only – I'm guaranteed he's the only player to be on two expansion teams. That's, that stat is probably unique to him and probably Gerard Gallant if he were to be the head coach of the Kraken. That would be tremendous. It would be phenomenal. And before Christian Arnold joins us, should be momentarily here. Uh, Nick Felino on the market, right? He's not really opening up about whether he is available or not. He's not gonna. He's not gonna do that to the Blue Jackets franchise. But Hall and Palmieri are both out of the lineups. We're gonna talk with Christian about this. And an interesting one is Mike Hoffman. The Blues have kind of sputtered of late. Would they be able to move him? And I know that you were very adamant about the Islanders pursuing Hoffman. You said this is a guy that really could fit this that summer. role in the summer. Yeah, so now if he's made available, he'll be a little more expensive than a Paul Mary, but that's a guy that's an elite sniper. You put him alongside Barzal. But is he going to be more expensive? Didn't yes, he, only, he is. Didn't he only sign for $4 million? No, no, no. I don't mean that. I mean, you mean price tag-wise, yes. Like You're not going to be able to give up what you would give up for Paul Mary to get Hoffman. Hoffman's younger. Everyone knows his upside. Everyone knows how talented he is scoring-wise. Uh, that's that's a higher price. You could see a Bellows go the other way in that kind of trade. I don't think Bellows would go for a Paul Mary just because... I think he would. You think I think Bell- he's going to have to. Well, let's see. The Devils ha- have the ability to ask for more because you're in the division. That They're be- going to ask for more to start. No, yeah, There's exactly. no way. No, yeah. It's going to be high, and the Islanders are going to have to realize, okay, do we make this move for Palmer and give up X, Y, and Z? Is it worth it? And for the Islanders, their prospect pool isn't too deep. It comes down to – I trust Lou Lemerle, though, wholeheartedly to do whatever, whatever he think, needs to I do. I think that the requirement for them, if they are trying to acquire Palmieri, has to be for him to shave his beard because I've, I don't think I've ever seen a beard grow out of somebody's eye before, but he's coming real close to it. It's in the danger zone. And it's it's disturbing to look at for me. So for Kyle Palmieri, if you're going to get dealt, you got to trim that up. At least make it look more like a chin strap or something. For sure. Oh, Brendan, are we taking a commercial break or are we going right into the interview? Uh, we'll go right into the interview. Why not? We'll spice things up. All right. Joining us now is Christian Arnold. What's up, Christian? How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you doing? We're doing, doing good. Well. So right, <laughs> right into it. Last night, I, as you know, I was texting you that my power went out. I didn't, I didn't get to catch all of the game, but you know, I've been talking to you a lot about goaltending, trying to teach you my ways and my viewpoints. So, semi on Varlamov last night. What Those did are you? Not the ways you want to learn if you want to be a goaltender. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> it's about watching, not how I play, Brendan. And how I played last night in our game was good enough to beat you in the playoffs. I don't want to uh, hear. It. Anyway, what did you see from Varlamov last night? Yeah, well, first of all, I guess I owe you a congratulations, Stefan, for, for winning this bizarre grudge match that you guys have here on the back check. But that aside, um, you know, I think Varlamov, for the most part, looked very confident in the way he was playing. Uh, I mean, both goaltenders have. I think you talk to anybody that's that's followed this team. I think you talk to anybody that's playing on the Islanders right now. Both goaltenders have looked really good, and uh, you know, both goaltenders have stolen the show at times. Ilya Sorokin certainly has done so a little bit more recently. Minus a start here or there. But, uh, you know, Varlamov looked pretty sharp last night. He seemed to be reading things pretty well. Um, I think the one thing, if I would if I would throw my Stefan hat on to, to kind of critique some of the way the goaltenders were playing was the fact that there were some long rebounds that uh, certainly felt like they were a little more prime opportunities for Washington. But then you had the Islanders' defense able to kind of clean those up pretty quickly. So they really didn't become too much of an issue. But I guess if I had to find one critique in, in Varlamov's game last night, that would have been it. Other than that, I mean, it was a pretty a pretty great effort, pretty solid effort from uh, the Islanders' goaltender. Yeah, I, I was going to say the exact same thing. So you nailed it. You nailed it, Christian. You nailed it. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it was a solid effort for the Islanders' goaltender, but it was for Vanacek as well. The Islanders had 39 shots on goal, a couple of posts here and there, but they only had one goal to show for it. Does that – 
make the importance of acquiring a top winger even more important? Or uh, do you think that Vanacek just played amazing and they have to just give him credit there? I mean, I think those are two separate conversations, right? Last night was was a game that you kind of expected more out of the Capitals and the Islanders. You know, what we saw last Thursday where they're scoring 12 goals combined, the Islanders are putting up eight points. I mean, that just doesn't happen uh, often uh, for this team. It's a defensive-minded team. That's the way Barry Trotz plays, and they, they'd rather win a game one nothing 2-1 than 8-4. to So I don't think the two things are necessarily um, related in that, in that sense because it was a goaltender's duel. You saw a very defensive-minded game um, matched with the fact that you had two very good goaltenders in that that were playing phenomenal hockey. Uh, the Islanders had a couple scoring, ch- uh, a lot of scoring chances during the course of the game. Washington certainly had their fair score chances as well. Um, and you just had two goaltenders really step up and make those big saves when they needed to. Obviously, the Islanders getting that, uh, the, breaking that uh, scoreless tie with the, just over, uh, with just under seven minutes to play there in the third period. But it certainly seemed for a while that this game was going into overtime or possibly a shootout because of the way the goaltenders and the defensive effort was there. Um, and it certainly kind of lived up to the hype in that regard. And, and again, that was more what you expect from an Islander capital, Capitals game, a playoff-type feel to it, and, and that's what you had there at Nassau Coliseum last night. And it was beautiful to see once the Islanders did get the lead, just the shutdown defensively. There, I remember on the penalty kill, they were playing keep away. It's just those little things where this Islander team shows how dominant they can be when they get a lead. I mean, we've talked about it over and over again, but I want to ask you about Kiefer Bellows. He's been in uh, Barry Trotz's doghouse this year a little bit, but Trotz always has great things to say about his game. And last night he plays about 10 minutes in the place of Ross Johnson, who was a game-time decision. Do you think his uh, Bella's time with the Islanders is coming coming to an end here and he'll be moved either before the deadline or on the deadline? Um, I think it'll depend on what kind of trade we're talking about here. Um, I know just from jumping on a, a few seconds ago, I heard you guys talking about Kyle Palmieri. I think it'll depend on the package that – and the player that the Islanders are looking at. If you're talking about a Kyle Palmieri, I don't necessarily know if a Kiefer Bellows is in that deal. Nor sh- nor do I think maybe he should be, considering the what you're getting in return. And, and I think I've been, I think it's pretty evident where I stand on the Islanders getting uh, Kyle Palmieri and, and how good it would be for them. But I don't necessarily know if you give up a Kiefer Bellows type prospect to do that and and think that that's a good trade. Um, I don't necessarily know where the Islanders stand when it comes to Bellows. I think that. Uh, you look at how he started the season and where he's been right now. It's it's tough to say that uh, he's necessarily in the same standing when he when he came, when he was coming out of training camp. Um, I, I think Barry Trotz trusts his game. I don't think that that's kind of just coach speak that he's trying to say some good things while while saying some negative things too. I think he genuinely believes that Kiefer Bellis is going to be a, a key part of the Islanders going forward. Um, but I certainly think there's also a sense that it's a bit of a sales pitch too from a perspective of if you're other teams, you know, you want to, you want to know you're getting someone solid and Keith Bellis is definitely one of the Islanders top prospects and he is a solid player. Um, so I think those are also little reminders too of the player that they would be getting. But again, I think it comes down to the package and the deal uh, that the Islanders are working on. If it's, if it's Taylor Hall, um, if that is something that comes to fruition, I know there's a segment of Islander fans that certainly want that to be the case. And I know that um, it's certainly been reported that they have at least shown some interest in Taylor Hall. Uh, if that's if that's the deal, the route they're going down, I would imagine that's probably the package that Kiefer Bellis will be included because, um, you know, Buffalo, as it stands now, they are going to ask for a lot, and rightfully so, but I also don't necessarily think they have a, a firm understanding of the situation they find themselves as well. So uh, it's certainly, a, it's certainly a, a, in a position to, to, to kind of mess this up as well. I think I said it on the, uh, the podcast the other day, uh, the Hockey Night in New York, I should say, the other day that if there's any team that could manage to bungle this right now, it would be Buffalo, uh, even worse than what Garth Snow managed to do in 2014 with Thomas Vanek. So, um, I mean, just considering this way their season has gone, it, it certainly has that feeling. But, um, yeah, I think that's that's a t- the type of deal that a Kiefer Bellows is involved in. Yeah, I mean, that does make sense. I personally think that Devils are going to start with that as an asking price because it is an interdivision trade. Um, I feel like for Paul Mary, I would, I'm not sure if I would give him up either, but it depends on what they Lou Lamarillo values in a player, and that becomes the ultimate thing. But speaking of the ultimate player, you have Josh Bailey, who hit 500 points last night. What can you say about the way he carries himself on the ice? I know that somebody like myself who watches from an outside perspective doesn't get to watch him on a nightly basis. You still 
have that presence there where you have that respect and you could tell that he's somebody that means a lot to that franchise. So from somebody who covers them, what does he mean and how does he carry himself on the ice? Yeah, he's a guy that I think, um, you know, has really taken a, a real leadership position in his time with the Islanders. I mean, this guy's a career Islander. He's been through a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Um, you know, I think the opinion has has changed over the last couple of years among the fan base of their view of Josh Bailey. I'm sure, you know, Stefan certainly can acknowledge the way that Islander fans have viewed Josh Bailey for a long time and how that's kind of changed over the last couple of years, especially with his, his more recent success and his, his kind of coming to where he is at this point. But, um, you know, you're looking at a player that's obviously, uh, uh, you know, very responsible with the puck, makes a lot of uh, smart plays. He's a great playmaker. Um, he's a guy that's going to do a lot of the little things that aren't going to necessarily end up on the score sheet. And I think that's where some of that criticism comes from is the fact that the things that Josh Bailey does really well, doesn't necessarily reflect where people view him uh, being drafted. It's kind of now the, the Michael Dow Cole syndrome, I guess you could call it where that, you know, he, he was drafted very high and the expectation where he was drafted comes with um, a much more uh, scores touch than, than what Bailey does. And, and Michael Dow Cole in this case too. Um, specifically Bailey, I think he does a lot of a lot of good things, a lot of little things well. And I think that his his hockey IQ is second to none in this league. Um, you know, you see him make a lot of smart plays. Now, uh, granted, I will admit that this season there's there's been some questionable things that he's done, um, you know, some poor passing at times and um, you know, some errors here or there, but uh, you know, that's par for the course with with a uh, with a season like you have going on right now, but I think overall just the ability, the, the like I said, the playmaking ability that he brings to the lineup. Um, I think you've heard it from when the Islanders had a certain number 91 on their roster to, you know, the players that they have now that are playing side. I mean, you, you talk to a Brock Nelson, uh, you talk to an Anthony Beauvillier, you talk to guys that have played with them, and they'll all start sentences with just about how, how smart a hockey player he is and how great a playmaker he is um, when he has the puck on a stick. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you nailed it. It's the hockey IQ for Islander fans that watch. People outside like Brendan who watch might look and go, okay, that's a terrible turnover. He seems to do that. He looks sluggish. But at the same time, you know, the speed of the NHL game is nothing that we can really compare it to unless you're playing at that level. And Josh Blade does do those little things. And we saw in the playoffs how good he can be. And that comes with his teammates as well earlier this year. Josh Bailey wasn't playing well, but neither was Brock Nelson or Bavillier. So you have to take with a grain of salt with who he's been around. But I do want to ask you to put on your GM cap. Let's pretend you're Lula Merlo, which you're not, but let's just pretend for, for fun here. Well, I'm which, glad you made that distinction because I'm uh, sure the audience would have been very confused. Hey, you never you know. your name real quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so would you rather get Taylor Hall or a Kyle Palmieri and another depth player? I mean, if just from everything I've I've heard and some of the things I understand, I would say I'd rather have a Kyle Pal- Palmieri and a depth player uh, going into this stretch run with the Islanders. I think he fits the style. If I'm Lou Lamarell, he fits the style and the, the a lot of the character attributes that are so highly valued with the Islanders. He fits that um, versatile role that's so important to Lou Lamarell and to Barry Trotz as well. You know, Trotz likes guys that can play different positions and can be utilized in different situations. Palmari is a guy that's been entrusted in a lot of different areas in New Jersey from the, from special teams um, in that regard. And so uh, it gives the Islanders another option when it comes to their power play, when it comes to their penalty kill, um, when it comes to where they can put him in the lineup, whether that's on the top line or, the, or you can move him around that top, that top three lines, really, when you look at his ability as well. Um, so it gives you that versatility, and then plus you have the room to go and, and go out and get a another depth forward that kind of bolsters that lineup going into the into the playoff run too. Get, don't get me wrong; I understand where people are coming from with Taylor Hall. I absolutely do. I think sometimes it doesn't come across that I do, but I get it. I mean, he's a he's a guy that's someone that can score goals. He's a flashy player. He's a name player. Um, you know, he's playing on a really bad Buffalo Sabers team. That's the one thing I will I will absolutely say in his defense right now is that. Um, you know, you look at the number of goals he has in his production this season. I, I think that's something that just can't be held against him because he's playing on a, on a Sabres team that has dealt with so much between COVID issues, between injuries, between just playing bad hockey since then too. Um, you know, I don't want, I don't think that's something that can be fairly held against him, but at the same time, um, you know, I just don't know if he fits the Islander style. I certainly get that, that him and Jordan Eberle have uh history and that, 
when you think of uh, top line, the excitement that could be had around a Taylor Hall, Matt Barzell, Jordan Eberle, especially with the chemistry that Eberle and Hall could potentially have. Um, but is he a guy that's going to go go back and, and play two-way hockey and play the defensive, more defensive-minded style of play that Barry trusts and trusts? It's it's a it's a question. Is this, is this the time of year where you really want to play that game, especially the way that the East Division is, and that on a, on any given night you can go from first place to fourth place like in the snap of a finger? So um, that's kind of my hesitation. I, like I said, when you look at Paul Mary, I think you know what you're getting. I know I think you know um, the ver- versatile uh, quality player that you're getting, uh, character player, I should say, that you're getting when it comes to Paul Mary. And then that, and then giving you that ability to make that secondary move as well. I so think he, that, yeah. well, he kind of gave you that choice between Hall and Paul Mary. If you had to choose any player in the league, who do you think the Islanders <laughs> wind up acquiring? Because I, I look at it, and Paul Mary looks like the obvious choice, but somebody whose name just popped up is Mike Hoffman, who might be rumored. That's an interesting outlet. I mean, there are a ton of of places that the Islanders can go. So based on what you've seen, who's your guy? I would still say Paul Mary. I know Hoffman's name's been thrown around there. It's an interesting, it's an interesting option too, um, and I think he's a guy that's also been kind of on Islander fans' minds as well in the past. And I think, um, I think he would kind of fit that role as well. I, I, I would definitely wouldn't, wouldn't uh, say no to Mike Hoffman either. I think that would be a be an interesting trade, and I think that would certainly help the Islanders as well. Uh, I'm not as familiar with his contract situation, so I'd, ha- I'd have to look. I don't know it off the, off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure it's one year for something. So that I mean that again that fits the bill of what Lou Lamorello is looking for. You know, a guy that's uh, is going to eat some of that that opened up cap space with the Anders Lee injury, um, and a guy who's on an expiring contract and is going to be a pure rental for the most from what will most likely be the situation going forward, um, and can help you make that that stretch run in the playoffs and make that deep run in the postseason. I don't I don't think Hoffman would be a bad choice either. And again, I think he kind of fits that for the most part, I think he kind of fits that little Amarillo Barry Trotz um uh kind of style that you'd want. Before I get to my last question, you know, I want to go back to your point about who you would take. And obviously I agree Paul Marin a depth player because to me my mindset is you want to acquire you're going to try to win a cup this year. That's obviously the plan. You're without Anders Lee. So you could bring in two guys, like a Felino or someone where you could have a leadership, you know, versatile players. Get two guys in there because if you if you bring Taylor Hall onto this team, is that separate? Is that make you now an elite team? You know, the ability to have all four lines, depth scoring, all that kind of stuff. Bringing in Taylor Hall, I don't think gets you a above and beyond to beat a team like Tampa or beat even Pittsburgh in the first one. I think, I think getting the two players, it would be crucial. Well, I, I, I will say, I don't necessarily know if you're, if you're getting a, a Kyle Palmieri, you're necessarily getting a Nick Foligno either. Oh, yeah, I, think yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's sort of a one or the other situation. Um, but to your point, yeah, I think that's, that, that makes a lot of sense too, uh, as to why you would, why, um, at least in my mind, you would rather lean towards a, a Kyle Palmieri than, uh, and, and what would likely be another depth move uh, as opposed to just a Taylor Hall move that would be kind of giving up those major assets that, that Buffalo would want most likely um, because there are going to be a lot of teams that are knocking on the door of, of, of Buffalo to try and make that trade happen. Um, I mean, there's going to be a lot of teams that are knocking on the door for, for New Jersey to make that trade happen. I think, um, you know, the one thing that kind of helps the Islanders cause a little bit is the fact of how close that – uh, would keep Paul Mary in the area. Obviously, I don't think he wants to go too far from his family. I know um, he has some say of where he can, can and can't go when it comes to a move from New Jersey. So I think those the geographical uh, closeness kind of helps the Islanders and the fact that there's a bit of a pre-existing relationship between Tom Fitzgerald and Lou Lamorello when it comes to being able to make those moves. Um, you know, kind of that, that trade for Andy Green, we've obviously seen how important it's been over the last year or so uh, for the Islanders. And I think it kind of wipes away that stigma of not wanting to trade within your division. Uh, I think there is some understanding now of where New Jersey is in in their current state and the realistic pos- the realistic uh, situation that they're in right now about where their playoff chances are. Um, and I think that they've kind of uh, kind of come to terms with that as well, considering uh, the players that, and the pieces that they're willing to be at least listened to when it comes to to uh, trade negotiations. So last question here, and it's about your show. Hockey Night New York's had some great apparel out there. You know I own the hat. I'm hoping to own the Wally shirt soon enough. Is this your idea or is someone else coming up with this idea? Uh, this is all Sean Cuthbert's idea. I, um, 
you know, as you know, I hate to give him any sort of credit for <laughs> anything that's good on the show, but um, Sean's been the master behind mastermind behind a lot of the apparel. Not a lot. He's been the mastermind behind all of the apparel that you've seen. Uh, I've obviously had some input, but from the hats to the the shirts that we've been selling, uh, that's all been Sean, and he deserves all of the credit there. They've been uh, phenomenal designs and phenomenal uh, apparel that I think people responded to. Um, I wish we could say we we're 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 as smart as people want to believe we are when it comes to the hat and how close it looks to the reverse retros. Um, but that was purely dumb luck. And, uh, um, but if people want to imagine that we're that smart, then we'll take it. But, um, no, every, every ounce of credit goes to Sean for the, the design and the execution of, of how these shirts have come out. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to own my Wally shirt. That's really cool. Christian, thank you so much for joining us today. We really do appreciate it. Anytime guys, you know that always happy to join you. All right, have a good one. You too, guys. Bye-bye. Oh, he's just a beaut. Christian Arnold, always willing to come on. Like I always say, give me my start, so I owe him a lot. Next week, Monday, they have Arthur Staple on their show. Obviously, Arthur Staple of The Athletic. He's one of the top guys when you're talking about New York Islanders hockey and coverage. So tune in next week. They're live on Twitch. Great show with him and Sean Cuthbert. It's always fun, and it's it's a top it's a top top Islander podcast. Definitely is, and we're gonna go a quick minute commercial break right now. When we come back, we're gonna dive into the Islanders and Rangers, talk about some local hockey. Big week coming up between the two teams. They'll be facing each other a heck of a lot over the next uh, five to seven days. So some exciting topics coming up. Hey guys, Stefan here. Each night on Long Island, 180,000 residents will go hungry, 39% of which are kids who have no ability to control their situation. Our friends over at Long Island Hockey Co. are trying to help as many families as possible. Each hat sold on their website will provide 50 meals for food insecure Long Islanders. Head to longislandhockeyco.com and let's help the people in our community. Hey everybody, it's Brendan here. Do you have old jerseys? What about old hockey equipment? Rather than throw these items out, our friends over at Ultranite would love to have them. This nonprofit converts jerseys into reusable face masks. The same face mask the New York Rangers wore in the bubble this past postseason. The old equipment you donate will be given to less fortunate children throughout the state. It doesn't matter what team you root for. Let's all come together to make a difference and grow the sport of hockey. To learn more, head to altronite.com. That's altronite.com. What were you going to say, Stefan? Uh, I'm sorry. I forgot we were playing two commercials there. No, I, I remembered that you were wearing Islander jersey to start this episode, and it, it, it makes me happy. I'm glad that makes you happy. You know what makes me happy? Uh, the Rangers Islanders both won. That does well. One of those things makes me happy. The other thing that makes me happy is that in two fewer games, Adam Fox is the same amount of points as Victor Hedman atop the league in defenseman. And I think that after some, you know, veteran denial from some NHL writers who think that you have to play a certain amount of years to qualify for trophies, he's finally getting some recognition for what he's doing, and he will definitely be in that Norris conversation come second week of May. I mean, you look at him, and he's by far the best defenseman since the start of March in probably the league. Hedman's that, you know, we'll talk about Hedman all we want, how good he is. You know, you look at Fox, and I'm not saying he's like Zibanejad last year where he carried his team on his back, but pretty much Adams Fox is doing it all in the defensive zone. He's making unreal plays. He's scoring big-time goals, shorthanded goals. I mean, he's doing it all for this Rangers team. And right now, the Rangers are, what, five points out of a playoff spot? He's a uh, big – They're technically nine. Games in hand? They're five points back. Boston has two games in hand. So you chalk those up as wins. That's nine points. They're not making the playoffs. But you take Adam Fox out of this lineup and what he's done this year, especially later in the season starting in March, and the Rangers are nowhere close to a playoff spot. No. No, but the only reason that they are is because Fox, Panarin. Now, what I say is what if Panarin didn't have to take a two-week leave of absence? Because they were starting to roll, and then all of a sudden he's gone. Then they come back down to earth a little bit comes back, they win a couple. They haven't been the same really since that leave of absence. Now they're starting to heat back up. They've had a good stretch here. But Fox is a plus 13, Hedman's a plus 9. Like uh, The numbers are just crazy how similar. He's only taken six penalty minutes. 
That's absurd. And as it, again, as a defenseman playing top line minutes, if he had more than that, it's not a knock on him at all. It's the fact that he just plays a lot of minutes. How many minutes is the average a game? Do you know? It's like 24 32. Yeah, that's absurd. That's Victor Hedman numbers. Victor Hedman averages 25 32. Fox averages 24 38. Dowdy's got to be up there as well. Dowdy leads the league. Dowdy's at, I think, 26. Uh, he's at 26 49. So that, that's absurd to me. But I mean, like, you're talking about a guy here who's got a game-winning goal. He's got the same amount of power play points as Hedman. He's got uh, one more power play goal. It, it's going to be close. And I know that people are going to toss Cal McCarr in there, and rightfully so, because of what he's doing in Colorado. But when you put the two together, Cal McCarr is doing what he's doing on a team that's in first place in their division. Victor Hedman's doing a team on what he's doing on a team that's in first place defending Stanley Cup champion. We know how good Colorado is. Adam Fox is doing this a team that's supposed to be in a rebuild. So which one holds more weight? No, I, I agree. And I've been a supporter of Adam Fox. I mean, watching him play is just it's just beautiful. I don't you rarely see him make mistakes. Yeah, I don't I'm trying to think of, you know, the game last night. If he does make a mistake, it's so subtle that you have no idea it was a mistake. And he just makes the key plays that this Rangers team needs. And again, they're not out of it, like you said, nine points theoretically. But the Bruins are dealing with a lot of issues right now. The Penguins, you know, we'll see what happens with them. Their defense is spotty. The Flyers are the Flyers. I mean, if the Rangers don't make the playoffs, they're going to finish as the five. That's what I'm thinking. They're going to be real close. And we talked about it. It could come down to that last game between the Islanders and the Bruins for the Rangers to be in or out. But Yep. Right now, if you're a Ranger fan, Adam Fox is just showing you. I, I don't know if did you expect Brendan this good of an offensive showcase from Fox? You know how good he is defensively, but this much offense. I didn't expect 36. I didn't expect the point per game pace from their defenseman. But if this was an 82 game season, I think that 50 points was within reach without a doubt. I mean, he's just got that ability where he doesn't just. It's because he's not a goal scorer, right? So, like, when you look at some defensemen who rely more on scoring goals, like an Aaron Ekblad, their point totals aren't always going to be as high because they don't get that same assist. But this is a playmaker and an elite playmaker who quarterbacks a power play. So, yes, I did expect at least 50 points over an 82-game pace, and we're getting a heck of a lot more than that right now because he's just having an incredible season. But the thing that I look for more is I look for uh, the future, right? And I'm saying, okay, let's look at it and analyze this, try to be reasonable, Lafreniere and Kako have underperformed this season. There's no other way to look at that. Edel missed over a month with an injury. If that line can click over the next two weeks and showcase something, and you could show nine forwards, all with now elite offensive skill, this is a team that in the near future will average four goals a game, and you can mark my word for it. And I know that you have a little thing about what I said about Tyson Barry. So this is something that I say with confidence that this team will average close to four goals per game if this top nine can click. And you want to you wanna remind everybody what I said about Tyson Barry? Yeah, so before the season began, we were talking about which players were going to step up, have big years, bounce back years. And Brendan did mention Tyson Barry, and he's having a phenomenal year. He's phenomenal. third in the league. Third, third in the league amongst defensemen and points with 32. So Brendan is a psychic. Again, he had the Blackwell Correct. dream with Blackwell scoring, which now he can take advantage of with the – you know, new betting, new betting type stuff. But but anyway, from the Rangers to the Islanders. So obviously the Rangers had a big win last night, 8-4, to four, correct? Yep. And the Rangers are showing, like you said, when they go against bad defenses, they, I mean, look what happened in Philly. They pretty much, you broke them. You broke them, you battered them. I mean, you abused them. Quite frankly, you did. You took advantage of every mistake they made. The Penguins make their mistakes. The Rangers are capitalizing. And that's, again, when you go to the playoffs, I know we spoke about this, Brendan. Yeah, the Rangers' offense is going to be as elite because teams are going to focus more on defense, the teams that have defense. And the, thing, the thing that's impressive is it was eight goals on 25 shots. That's what I'm saying. They're making the most out of their opportunities. Yeah. In the playoffs, this has been the biggest thing for the Islanders last year is usually they're a team that doesn't make the most of their opportunities. Like last night, 39 shots on goal, one goal to count, but they, they got the goal and they held on, which, again, it was a crazy tight playoff game. But the Rangers are starting to make the most of their opportunities. And if they finally get into the playoffs, a team with confidence, especially if they go into the playoffs, it's going to go in on a positive note. They're going to have had to win a lot more games than they've lost. And teams are dangerous. There's no hiatus, no break. If you're hot going into the playoffs, that's where you want to be. And if the Rangers are going to make the playoffs, they're going in hot. Yeah, I mean, they have to. They have to. And 
uh, everyone wants to look right and compare, say, oh, they have to do this while the Bruins do that. That you can't worry about that. If you put up 25 points over the last 19 games of the season, 30 points, whatever it is, you're going to put yourself in a position where you will be there. Right. I mean, that there's that's just mathematics. The Penguins went on a run here and we didn't look at other teams saying, oh, they have to lose. It doesn't matter. Now they're only four points behind the Islanders and Capitals and the Islanders and Capitals haven't necessarily lost that much. They've just lost a little bit less, a little bit more, I should say, than the Penguins did. So that's what the Rangers have to hope for when it comes to the Bruins, too. They just have to worry about their own thing. And I think that they got to model the Islanders game. Right. Not not defense first and rely solely on that. But they have to counterattack like they did last night and go on a run similar to what the Islanders did. And the only way they're going to go on a run is if they beat the Islanders at least two times over the next three meetings, all of which are at Nassau Coliseum. Yeah, so the Islanders play um, Capitals again. No, excuse me, they play the Flyers Thursday, Rangers Friday, Rangers Sunday. It's going to be a heck of a weekend. But last night... I don't know how many times. I think Everly hit the post or the iron twice. They hit the post crossbar three times. They do get the win. And Brendan, they are now 16 1 and 2 on home ice. They're due. 16 1 and 2. I mean, that's unreal. It's unreal. It's, what a way to send out the Coliseum, too. Now we just need a cup <laughs> and we're all dandy. I mean, everyone wants the cup. I wanted a cup for a little bit too, Mr. Bringing up Alec Martinez, but um, hey, we'll see. I just hope for your sake that they don't have a crazy home season this year and then move to UBS and just don't have that same advantage. Is to take the ice and just, just bring a piece of NASA Coliseum. <laughs> I know it's going to you know replicate the lower bowl and all that stuff, but the importance of winning at home, it's just, Huge. it's so important. And then the biggest thing for the Islanders is, trying to knock the, the caps and get in the top seed. If they, if they're a second seed, they'll be home as well. But you just look at it as for the Islanders specifically, they haven't been terrible on the road. It's just, I mean, 16, one and two at home. You want that home ice advantage and wins like yesterday are huge comes the end of the year because you didn't give the caps a point. That game could like Christian Arnold said, that game looked like it was going to be an overtime type game. Who knows? Could have been a shootout, which we we hate to see come down to, you know, playoff stances. But the Islanders found a way last night. They get a late goal by Brock Nelson. They hold on. And that's a huge two points to tie themselves with the Caps atop the division. And then they go into a really important weekend here. They really do. And for the Islanders, I think that at this point, playoffs are a matter of seeding. They're not a matter of if they're going to make it. Yeah. And we, we stressed how good they are at home. So the importance of them finishing in one of those top two spots is paramount and uh for for them to get that one seed would be huge because that's at least two series guaranteed at home and based on standings come who the final four are you could be looking at multiple series at home if they go on that far type of run like they did last season so for them to have that that's huge if they went out drop to the three seed, say pittsburgh goes on a little bit of a mini run they scuffle a tiny bit that's putting them behind the eight ball because we've talked about before they're a mediocre road team. They're not they're not bad, but they're not as good as they are at home. So you'd rather have it be on home ice. And they showed last night that they could win any type of way, right? They scored a boatload of goals the other night. Now you beat the Capitals one nothing the next night. The Capitals kind of scratching their head, like, what do we do to beat this team, especially on the road? So Capitals look a little human. Uh, the Rangers came back and beat them when they had a third period lead. They were like 18 and one before that game or something along those lines, some crazy number. So I, it's definitely looking up for them. Definitely you've looking up. You've also seen flaws like you spoke about the Rangers before they came back and actually beat the caps. They came back and came up short. You, and then you saw the Islanders put up a ton of goals against them on Saturday. So the caps the defense is by no means elite. You know, they got great goaltending when um, Samson missed a lot of time with COVID. And the question was, what are they going to do? No Lundqvist. You know, what are they going to do? And Vanacek has been just superb. Last night, he made an unreal save with his stick. Granted, a lucky save, but a save nevertheless. And he's been a... he's so been a Samsonov, though. No, no, exactly. But Vanacek held down the fort when it could have gone real ugly mm-hmm. for the Caps if he didn't play well. Um, but you look at the biggest thing from the win last night, and it's the play of Varlamov. He stops 39 of 39. He gets his fourth shutout, second in the NHL. But over his last five or so games, he has not looked as sharp. I don't know if it's fatigue. You know, early in the year, he played the boatload. Then he started 16 or 17 of the Islanders' first 20. Again, Sorokin was 
trying to get used to NHL way of life, the style. Now it's been more of a 50-50 split. If anything, Sorokin might be playing a, a little more now because of how good he's been. But you you wanted to see Varlamov not just be good enough to win because he's, he's done that. And his stats are great. Don't get me wrong, but stats don't tell the whole story. Yeah. But last night was one of those how good Varlamov can be. He was dominant last night. Everything was on point. Again, a rebound control here or there wasn't really good, but the confidence was there. No weak goals, no goals allowed. And he looked like he even looked better than what Varlamov looked like to start the year when he started an impressive, impressive run to kick off the year. And for the Islanders to be dominant, we talk about tandems all the time. If Sorokin can be showing that he's the true number one in the future sooner than maybe people think, and Varlamov's that good as well. You saw in the playoffs last year when Varlamov struggled, they went to Grice in a game seven against the Flyers, and he shut him out to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. The ability to have two goaltenders in a defensive-minded system that you could throw out against any opponent is crucial. Last year in the second half, Thomas Grice was terrible. Varlamov had to be good for the rest of that, that half of the year. But you have two goals like that where it's Trotz loves to ride the hot hand. And if you go into the playoffs on a hot streak, because again, last year they went into the playoffs 0-3-4. And, and they got, fortunately, they had a hiatus. I mean, unfortunately with the whole COVID thing. But for the Islanders, who knows what would have happened in that first round. They may have lost because they were playing terrible hockey. Yep. But they got a second win there. They got a nice break. They got healthy, all that kind of stuff. And they don't have lead this year. But to go into the playoffs hot, to have two dominant goaltenders – I mean, it's a, that's just how you're going to have success. And there's no, you know, it's not a Vasilevsky type of thing where he's your true number one. He's going to play every single game. It's the fact that you have two dominant goalies in a defensive minded system going in on a hot streak. That's a dangerous team to play against. It is. And you just touched on something that's very interesting. You talked about how Grice and Varlamov kind of interchanged in the postseason based on who was struggling. Both were veteran goaltenders with experience. Now you have Sorokin, who's not a veteran goaltender, and I'm not saying he's going to struggle by any means, but that's a different stage, right? If if he gets called upon in a game seven to come out, will he have some jitters, right? It's a, it's a unique circumstance where the Islanders have had tandem after tandem after tandem be successful. Now you're having a new type of tandem where you have a rookie and a veteran. So who do they go to in the playoffs? If one's struggling, can Sorokin come in or Varlamov come in and be that shutdown guy? And if it is Varlamov who's struggling, can Sorokin do that in the postseason and not amount to the pressure? Now there's fans, right? There's going to be fans in the postseason. It's a different type of animal, especially if Game 7 winds up being on the road. Yeah, so, I mean, the biggest thing for what you just said is, is there faith in Sorokin? Now, we still have time left in the regular season to determine that, but Varlamov's your number one. And I expect Varlamov to start in the playoffs. I don't expect Sorokin to play unless unless need be, especially if Varlamov can get back to his form and there's no hiatus, you ride the hot hand. And if Varlamov's going to play like this, he's been your number one all year, and he's shown in the playoffs last year as well how dominant he can be. But like you said, the biggest thing is if he starts to struggle or for T, like we saw last year, yeah. it's not a veteran that's been a member. Grice came up huge when the Islanders beat Florida advance back with you know, John Tavares' overtime winning goal. That crazy stuff but that's a veteran guy that's been there a veteran guy that's come up big for his team the faith is there that he can get it done you have no idea what the big stage you know khl playoffs is not the same and again this comes down to how crucial home ice advantage is because if sorokin's got to come into a game and he's got the islanders faithful behind him a lot um so much more faith in that than if he's on the road in a packed arena where he's getting booed and the pressure's on Definitely. And it's going to be interesting to see. Like like I said, I, I'm not knocking Sorokin here and saying oh, he's going to struggle. I think that it's a unique opportunity for another team to potentially take a, a stranglehold on a series. If Varlamov starts and all of a sudden Sorokin has to come in. Listen, we saw his first start of the season against the Rangers, right? The Rangers exposed him. Since then, he's been great. And if that happens again in the postseason, does his confidence get knocked, right? If he has one bad game, does he get a little rattled? A little, he's young, right? It's his first NHL stint. So we will see. I, I think that if there is a possibility of the Rangers creeping in to the postseason, it's going to come against the Islanders. And will we finally get that Sorokin versus Shesterkin match where it could determine a lot, right? Not, I'm not talking about the Rangers and Islanders in the postseason. I'm talking about the next they play each other five more times. That's going to be a huge uh, determining factor in the Rangers run, or if it's going to be another disappointing season. Yeah. So we do have a fan question, which I'll get to pretty quickly. Sam Ritter, 81 and the Islanders looking to add another forward at the deadline. If they don't Sam, they're in big trouble. 
Yeah, I mean, that's all I'll say on it. They have no choice. You have Anders Lee not here. And while the Islanders have survived, for sure, you can't go up against a team like the Lightning and expect to outscore them. You could, right. you know, you could play reliable defense. We saw last year, you know, how much talent the Lightning have. The Islanders' defense can be so great and all, but if the ten- if the Islanders can't score against them, and you know, the defense can only do so much. Yeah, that's quite frankly, the Islanders have to score a little more if they can. They got to get a forward. I hopefully they get two. And you talked with Christian Arnold that if they get a Palmieri, they have room to go get another depth player. Whoever that may be is still unknown. Palmieri seems like the top priority right now. So I think. If they don't add a forward, either it was a dream and you didn't wake up yet and it's not April 12th, or Lula Merlos has to retire as a GM because the bag's out. Islanders need a forward. They need to counteract the Anders Lee loss. It's pretty much clear-cut. If they don't do something, Brendan, that's a serious problem. Yeah, they have to. And uh, they don't necessarily need to change a lot about this team, but the one thing they need is some more scoring help. And every team that is looking and has serious cup considerations and thinks that they're contenders adds at the deadline. It's just, you have to do it right. It's been the way of hockey forever. If you don't think you're a contender, you sell and you get the future. If you think you're a contender, you buy. And for the Islanders, there's three, four options out there that could help them. One of them has to wind up on your team. And if it doesn't, that is a failed deadline. Yeah. Like I said, the the bag's out. I mean, everything I've heard from sources to everybody covering, it's the fact like the Islanders are in on Palmieri. They're one of the, few teams. Apparently, they've talked about Taylor Hall. Felina was a guy I have follow now on the Kings. He plays the top line there. Yeah. They, you can use him as a depth guy. I got into an argument with somebody on Twitter over that. And I just, you know, we have a couple minutes. Let's get into it a little bit. <laughs> he was saying, I forgot the man's name, not important. I follow is more than a depth forward on the Islanders. He wouldn't be a depth player and he would cost more than Palmieri. First off, I follow is 27. Don't get me wrong. He's playing on the top line for the Kings. Look at what Pajot did. Pajot was on the top line for the Senators. He came over. What did he do? Bottom six. Now, I know how the Islanders do things. It's not one, two, three, four. That's how they play. It's They roll all the lines. Everyone has their own job to do. Don't even go by numbers. They should just have their own whatever. Yep. So if they get Ayafalo, he's not playing on the top line. He's probably not playing in your top six. He'll play alongside Pajot and Wallstrom. That's not a knock on him, which was I was trying to tell this gentleman. He just wasn't understanding is that it doesn't matter what their role is on a different team. This is a completely different ball game with a Hall of Fame general manager, a Hall of Fame, a future Hall of Fame coach, and a system that works. If Ayafalo comes to the Islanders, he is not going to be in your top six. I'm going to call it right now. Now, if they want to re-sign him. The Kings have been openly talking to him about a contract extension. He's a young, a good young player, a really strong player for them. I think he fits what the Islanders want. Doesn't mean they're not going to go after him, but he's not playing in your top six. But again, they will go out and get a forward. And if they do not, bad Lou, Mar- bad Lou, bad Lou. It, that's just the end of the day for that. It's just, it, it's just bad. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, Sunday's episode, right? or Monday, whenever we release it, we're going to have a lot to talk about regarding the deadline because things are going to start to heat up this week, and you could just kind of feel it. You could feel the tension around the league with people starting to get benched, right, and and scratched because they know it's going to happen. Buffalo, I'm just so stoked to see what kind of fire sale they're going to have. They're screwing it up. There's two. First of all, how funny is it that Eric Stahl in his first game with Montreal scores the OT winner? winner. It's like, what have what have you been doing in Buffalo this whole time? How bad of a situation is that that these guys are just going to all start to go off? And one thing Christian Arnold said when he was on is Taylor Hall is a goal scorer. I feel like he's not right. I think that people consider Taylor Hall a goal scorer because of his Hart Trophy season, but realistically, he's always been more of a playmaker. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's openly said he hates going on breakaways because he has to make like that decision. A goal scorer likes going on breakaways. So would he be a fit? I'm not entirely sure because if you are looking to acquire somebody to play alongside Brazil's wing, you need a goal scorer. Um, and I think that's an interesting element to that as well. So he will go somewhere and he will play much better than he has on Buffalo. Now, listen. Is he a bigger goal scorer than Leo Komarov? No, yes, 100%. yes. So if they were to acquire him, he'd be a better fit on the top line. But I, I stand my ground when I say I don't think he's a good fit. Now, I got challenged a lot. Why is he not a good fit? Well, I bring out the whole defensive mind. And well, well, if Trotz could coach Ovechkin to playing defense, could coach anyone. But you saw it last year. Pajot came over in an offensive-based system. And I don't even know what system Buffalo is running right now. I think it's just skate for your life and try to play well enough to get moved. I, but you look at Pajot comes over. He struggles. 
And he's in a defense where he's got to learn. You don't have a hiatus to get used to it with practice. If Taylor Hall comes over and he's struggling to be a fit, you're going to see exactly what's happening in Buffalo. I'm sorry, you're going to. The fact that Jeff Skinner has more goals than Taylor Hall, I don't care if Eichel's been hurt or whatever the case may be, that that should not be the case. It just shouldn't be the case. And I know Skinner playing on the fourth line, worst defense against him. Eichel's been out, so the defense is all on Taylor Hall. But at the same time, if you're a star player in this league, you find ways to produce. End of story. You find ways to produce. He hasn't. Now, again, Christian made a good point. You're not, you're not knocking him, but you're not knocking Taylor Hall's play this year on what he's going to be. He's definitely better than a two-goal scorer in the NHL. It, it's just a fact. He is. I just think for the, what the Islanders need right now, it's a big net front presence, and that's not something Taylor Hall is. I think it's just a bad situation because he hasn't been able to find the back of the net, but he still has 17 assists. Right, so it's not like he's on a terrible team, and he's still setting up. He's a playmaker, which is what uh, people got to realize. And he's in a bad situation. He put that on himself. He's in a bad situation. He's going to get out of it, and let's see what happens. In regards to the defensive minded system, he did it in Arizona after the deadline. He but wasn't. He didn't thrive. He Arizona, didn't thrive. Arizona got significantly worse when he was brought there. You're also adding him next to Barzal instead of who Arizona had at the time. That's a different situation. He was asked to go to a defensive system and be their star forward. Now he'd be asked to go to a defensive system and just and play alongside the star forward. That's a different situation. That is a different situation completely. So, Brendan, we're out of time. Thank you so much for you know reading your thing. You are a trooper. Through that, I know I will take so much pride in watching that, making that a video, posting that to social media because it was a highlight of my week. Um, thank you, Christian Arnold, for coming on the show. Belly Up Sports, we're so thankful to be able to join your network, and we can't wait to see what happens there. We'll have a new episode out either Sunday or Monday, so stay tuned, guys. We're Brendan, how many days away are we from the deadline? Five? No. Well, I can't do math. It's Monday. All right. By the time we release this episode, it'll be four. So everybody, thanks so much for the comments as always. We'll see you guys or we'll talk to you guys on Monday or Sunday. I don't know. We're, we're all over the place. Brennan, take it away. The Back Check is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Back Check. Follow the show on social media at Back Check Pod.